Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is on the road. Hopefully, not in an ice storm. Always a shocking concept to me when she last week we were talking, we were having issues on the show, and she talked about ice storms, and I was like, ice storms? That sounds like something out of a bad movie. Ice storms. I'm in California, so what do I know of ice storms? So greetings. We have a great show today with Dr. Keisha Ewers, which I'm really looking forward to. And I'm going to say this now to remind people, because I know this is going to be one of those shows you're going to tell your friends about and or listen to again. So about 15 minutes after the show, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, then click on the blog talk player archives, and this show will be at the top of that show, at the top of that player. And also you can find the show by going to iTunes, which is really, if you do play in iTunes world, it'd be really great if you went there and liked us or made a comment because that moves us up in the ratings, which is always excellent. And you can go to iTunes and find us there by searching for Sherry Edwards, and you'll find her over 500 hours of shows. And any of your other podcast aggregators, Dog Catcher, Pocket Casts is my personal favorite. Um, there are so many now. And again, search for Sherry Edwards, and you'll be able to find the shows there. And this is one of those shows. Uh, Stitcher is a good one, too, because you can, and Stitcher is cross-platform. You will be able to easily share the show on Stitcher and our Pocket Casts iTunes, I'm not so sure. And uh, sharing means that if you want to send it to somebody who you think, oh, you really want to know about this, because I know that there's information people are really going to want to listen to again and or share with their friends. I have two short announcements because I really want to get to Dr. Keisha. I'm not sure which one to start with. I think I'll start with the good news because I've been trying to do this. Uh, this is regarding uh, world. The head of the art, title of the article is "Worldwide Clean Energy Investments Hit 333.5 Billion Dollars Last Year." This is worldwide. Uh, number one was China. Uh, solar power dominated half of 2017's total clean energy investments at 160.8 billion, mostly thanks to China's ins- insatiable appetite for solar projects. China is now the number one leader in the world in solar. We are not, which is amazing. Uh, the U.S. invested uh, $57 billion, uh, the world's second biggest backer of renewables. But that's, well, yeah, $160 billion versus $57 billion. So there's that. And that's amazing. Reduces the amount of pollution, reduces, reduces our total toxic load on the planet. It's renewable. What a shocking concept. Renewable. Wow, excellent. And then the second one, and this will lead us directly into our guest, uh, the title of the article is, and I'll put both of these in the uh, show notes, Eight Ways to Reduce Your Exposure to Hormone-Disrupting Chemicals. There's a category of chemicals called EDCs, or endocrine-disrupting chemicals. These chemicals are known to cause obesity, diabetes, heart disease, reduced fertility, premature birth, reduced sperm quality, and cancer. And new research indicates that some EDCs cause problems that are passed along for generations. And a lot of these EDCs come from plastics and all sorts of things that stay in the atmosphere, meaning a lot in the water in our landfill and sludge from our guest a couple weeks ago talking about sludge. 
he sued the EPA for what they were doing with sludge, which means sewage, sediment, uh, in fields and anywhere they want, basically. So that these EDCs stay and they interact with our hormone systems, our endocrine system, and our hormone disrupting. Hormone disruption, not good, not good. So I'll put those both in the show notes. Now, let's get to Dr. Keisha. Women are diagnosed with 80% of the over 145 identified autoimmune diseases, and that number is still growing. Over 90% of the population has a form of autoimmune disease and inflammation. Several autoimmune diseases, including lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, myasthenia gravis, and multiple sclerosis afflicting women anyone anywhere from two to ten times more often than they do men. Dr. Akisha Ewers is a board-certified functional and advanced Ayurvedic medical practitioner as well as doctor of sexology, advanced registered nurse practitioner, and psychotherapist, and the founder and medical director for the, of the Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program. Dr. Akisha has been in the medical field for over 30 years. After being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, an incurable disease, according to Western medicine, she discovered how to reverse autoimmunity using her freedom framework method, which she has now used with thousands of her own patients and teaches to her health coach students in her online certification program. Dr. Keisha joins us to talk about her latest book, Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, The Woman's Guide to Reclaiming Emotional Freedom. Welcome, Dr. Keisha. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is such an important subject, and I love being able to share it. I, As I read your book and I went around the web, the World Wide Web, uh, and <laughs> researched and you know learned more about you, I really wanted to I, – I wanted to go back and what was your – what really came up for me was as I followed your path – in terms of the information that you were gathering, what was the path or your journey to becoming a renowned expert in, is on, is on some of your websites, Freedom to Feel Fabulous? And I mean, what was the order of your learning? Because you've had quite an, quite an interesting progression from you had an illness, you started your, you know, that's kind of where it all started. So can you give us that story? Yes. You know, when I was a child, I wanted to be a vet. And... <laughs> I read all the Jane Harriet, all things great and small books. I don't know if you remember those. And it was really, I am an animal lover through and through. And my parents suggested that I spend a day with a vet in our small town, which was a very James Harriet-esque kind of town in the middle of Utah. And so I spent my first day with the vet there. And I lasted half a day when someone brought a box of kittens that had been dumped on the side of the road and they were going to euthanize them. I thought, you know what, I'm out of here. I can't do this. These animals have no choice. They're, they really are powerless when it comes to what's going to happen to them. So I decided to go into adult medicine. <laughs> I figured people have a lot more choice. And so I, I went into nursing. And at the age of 19, I was a, a nurse in the hospital. And I continued on into intensive care unit, kind of high-intensity nursing. I loved it. I was definitely an adrenaline junkie. I ran marathons. I skydived. I did all these different, very, you know, exciting things in my life. 
And I was raising four children through my 20s. And really, I, I was called the Energizer Bunny. And it was strictly Western medicine. I didn't, I wouldn't have known an herb if it had bitten me in the butt, seriously. So one day, and this is how my patients talk about this too, and I'm going to put in air quotes, all of a sudden, my family had packed their bags and we were on our way to take a trip to go to Disney World. And the morning that we were supposed to take off, I woke up. And I had 10 extra pounds on me of puffiness. You know, my face was puffy. My joints were inflamed and puffy and red. And it was like somebody had just taken the battery out of the Energizer Bunny. I had nothing. And the way I describe it is like Wiley Coyote in the Roadrunner cartoon dropping an anvil on the Roadrunner. He's going along underneath the cliff, you know, mate, mate, and then splat. That was the experience of this. And so I wound up in the doctor's office who diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis and I had a family history. My grandfather had had it too. And so when she handed me these prescriptions for methotrexate and a really strong non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, my next question was, because I knew I, the, the side effect profile for both of these wasn't that great, was, is there anything else I can do? And you know, I was told, no, you happen to draw the short end of the genetic lotto, my dear. Come back when you get worse, and we will increase the level of medications that we're going to work to suppress your symptoms with. So that was all I could hope for, was symptom suppression and remission with this model of medicine. I was looking at a future of immune-modulating drugs. And so on my way home, I remember just thinking there has to be a different way than this. And so in those days, it was Ask Jeeves instead of Google. So I got on my modem computer. (laughs) I asked Jeeves, you know, what the side effects of these drugs were. And sure enough, I did not want to really subject my four children to a mother who they were used to a certain, you know, way of parenting from me, which was fairly active and adventurous and, and um, hands-on. And, you know, having somebody that was going to really be checked out a lot from pain. And so I thought, okay, what else is there? And I went in and I started looking at all the research. And I actually found an article linking yoga to positive results for autoimmune disease. So I went to my first yoga class. But, you know, the funny thing about this is my ego was so big and so in charge of me (laughs) that when I called my running partners and said, going to my first yoga class today, I'm really nervous because I've never hung out with people that chant and I don't even think I can touch my own toes. So I was really worried about what other people were going to think and you know, of course, anyone that practices yoga, I later became a yoga teacher, and I, I laugh about this space I was in at that point, knows the first thing you hear when you walk into a yoga class is leave your ego at the door. It'll be waiting for you when you're finished. And my yoga teacher that particular day mentioned the word Ayurveda, which I was intrigued enough about the word. I went back home and asked Jeeves about Ayurveda, and it's the sister science of yoga. It's the medical arm. It's 10,000 years old, and it identified that we are not all the same person 10,000 years ago, and here we are operating in a a medical model in the United States that assumes that a food pyramid is right for every single person, that if you give a drug, 
that you're going to expect what we call standardized outcomes and that if you go in for surgery, you will have standardized outcomes. It's why we have such a litigious society and there's so many lawsuits because we are not standardized people and the assumption gets us in trouble constantly. So this kind of blew my world apart. And so then I went back to school and I was able to reverse my rheumatoid arthritis within six months, (laughs) complete reversal of starting to treat my body as if it was this individual blueprint and fed it and watered it and took care of it and learned to meditate. And, you know, part of my story is, is in meditation one day I started looking at that word autoimmune and realized it means I'm killing myself and I'm responsible because it's auto. And, and I went back in time to the first time I wanted to die and I found this little 10-year-old girl part of myself that was being sexually abused by the vice principal in my elementary school. So I knew then, because Ayurvedic medicine says, autoimmune disease is undigested anger and I was a consummate people pleaser so I didn't even acknowledge anger I didn't allow myself to be angry you know on a regular basis I didn't express my feelings very well I was very passive aggressive I held on to every hurt that I could ever think of and you know I, I realized oh this is linked to this I've got to get under it So that's really going after it on all those levels in a very individualized way and considering myself a puzzle that had to be solved really saved my life. And it got me into this this education of I went back to school and I, I, um, you know, really started working with Ayurvedic medicine. And then I went back to school and got my nurse practitioner because I knew I needed that if I was going to be able to have my own practice. And and then I went back to school after I'd been sitting in a, at a desk for just a, really a few weeks of seeing people in private practice. I realized, you know, you can't separate the body from the mind. I've got to go back and learn psychotherapy. Like this, this the way we try to separate this is impossible. And so then I went back to school for psychotherapy. And then I had women coming in asking me for bioidentical hormones because their friends had had them and they wanted to feel that great. And I would start asking very simple questions, and I would find out that there was, again, a big link to past hurt and female sexual desire. So I went back to school and got a doctorate in sexology and did a study about this. So every time, the, the reason that I um, kept going back to school, what I always tell my patients is every time someone came in my office and stumped the chump, I was back in school. <laughs> so that was my journey through my educational process. Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to add up in my mind how many years that totals. It's a lot of studying. Um, I'm it a fan is. of I'm studying. So. And I started at 18. So, you know, I, I uh, love learning, as you can tell. And, you know, I, I look at life as a puzzle that has to be solved. And I like to figure it out. I love figuring puzzles out. So I always call myself a medical detective. You know, anyone that comes to see me. I'm putting clues together. I'm listening to their story. I'm, I'm figuring out the puzzle. And so, you know, it, it does require a certain level of education, which I've now put together and created a health coach certification program to teach people how to do that so they don't have to spend over $500,000 in education and all those years you just totaled <laughs> up in your head. <laughs> right, right. And, you, and, and one of the things that I think that's really interesting and 
cool about what you've what you one of the things that you talk about is one of the what I would call a biomarker that you really look at is libido as a, as a sort of an overall immediate indicator and right. it, it surprises it surprises me that more practitioners don't see that as a biomarker because it's such an overall state uh, indicator of state of being because if you're not healthy whatever the arena more than likely your libido is going to be shelved or put in the cabinet i feel well the first thing that goes, i'm an, I'm an herbalist I'm, right. I'm an herbalist i i got my degree as a master herbalist in the late 70s so i've spent a lot of time talking to women about cycles and all sorts of stuff so to me it's amazing that i don't see this more and i think that's really great yeah. that you do that and 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 how did you did that just sort of float up to you as you were in your between studying sex and studying health and wellness did, did that come up as a light up for you or is how did you discover that it yourself? was a result of it was a result of ayurvedic medicine to be honest because ayurveda has a word in its lexicon and it's you know ayurvedic terminology is written in sanskrit which is the ancient language of um, ayurveda and yoga in india and the word is ojas, O-J-A-S, and I call it ojuice. And it's, it's really, this, the way they describe it is like a golden substance, kind of like honey. And you're born with a certain amount, and you can burn through it too quickly. Chinese medicine has the same thing with gin. And there's no comparable word in the medical model of our culture or even our language other than you can you can kind of get somewhat close to it by saying life force or but that doesn't really mean a lot to people of our time because we're a very productivity oriented society that that keeps a fairly frenetic pace and of course I'm not excluded from that and so when I started thinking about this word ojas I started realizing that when you have depleted ojas there are certain things that will show up that have very dry skin, you'll be unhappy, your memory is shot, your libido is gone, your vitality has disappeared. And I realized that libido is one of the vital signs, like blood pressure and, you know, your waist circumference and your heart rate and your oxygenation. And we ought to be tracking it. And the reason that more people don't talk about it when they go see their providers, whatever ilk that is from whether it's an herbalist or a doctor or, um, you know, an Ayurvedic practitioner is because we do tend to hang it up, put it on the shelf pretty, pretty easily. And it's not until it really causes um, relationship difficulties and, that people start to really pay attention to it. And, you know, particularly I call women of, of this time, super women who are trying to bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and look hot at the same time. And our nervous system is not designed for that to be on constant on. And so particularly when women reach menopause and I'm, I'm always telling my patients and my students and, and my followers that I, I communicate with is menopause has this word pause in it. And it's meant to be a time that we move from the princess archetype and the queen archetype into the wise woman, the empress, 
the holder of the knowledge of the culture. And you're supposed to pause and fit yourself into your culture in that way. Assume that mantle and stop trying to look like you're 20 years old and really start to pay attention to the needs of your community around you and yourself. And that pause just doesn't happen. And this is where, you know, libido goes, we get vaginal dryness, we wind up with hot flashes, we don't sleep, our memory is shot. And it's because the tank is empty. And so I started seeing in my patient population that I was seeing women that were in their late 20s and early 30s having this happen to them at a very young age. And I thought, okay, our cycles are really messed up. Not only are the fairy penguins in Tasmania coming up and having babies twice a year instead of once, and the fish in Elliott Bay here in the Puget Sound spawning twice, not just once, you know, our environment is screwed up on all these these levels, as you were talking about, with xenoestrogens and endocrine disruptors. But women are starting into this perimenopausal phase of life much earlier. And I started looking at that, and as I was asking women questions, there was a lot of pain underneath the answers. So that's how I got interested in this. It was because of this word OGIS. What's depleting the life force of our planet today? What's depleting the people that are supposed to stand up and say, here's the wisdom from the elder? And they're unable to if they're hot flashing every hour or if they're so worried about the wrinkles on their faces that they can't get past what's in the mirror and really start being introspective and, and helping this next generation that's behind them through. And so I started really taking that on as a very worthy cause because the world needs wise women elders. They need wise male elders. And I happen to think that this Me Too movement right now is calling men to the elder position to say, you know, really stand up and become the elder you're meant to be. And I'm saying the same thing for the women. And one of the things that I really like about that that approach, the life force versus libido, I know that I could talk to somebody, a man or a woman, about libido, and they'll pay attention because people have a sense of what that is. Oh, yeah, that. They might be a little shy. They mm-hmm. might be a little reserved. However, if I use the term life force, depending upon who the person is, but oftentimes their mm-hmm. eyes will roll up in their head. They think I'm going to talk right. about incense and gonging and peacock feathers. Uh, right. Whereas they're they're really the same thing, but libido is like oh yeah that mm, uh. so yeah, it's, yeah I think that's a really powerful direction and and libido and level did... you know is it is I always say it's like the gas tank gauge on the dashboard of your car we pay attention to our gas tank if it's empty we pull over and we fill up because we know we're going to be broken down on the side of the road, if we don't pay attention to our libido level in the same way with the same amount of attention, we too will be broken down on the side of the road. And you can see that when people need coffee every morning to get going or they reach for a pastry or some kind of sugar to um, pump their energy or, God forbid, an energy drink like Red Bull. You know, all of these things are damaging, damaging on a cellular level. And it's ignoring what the body is actually saying, which is my gas tank is low. I need to be fueled. 
And so what is that fuel source needing to come from? Is it emotional, mental, physical, or spiritual? And so that's, it's really, libido is a very simple way of identifying if your gas tank is low. And it's also very complex in terms of looking at the whole picture of you in the context of your environment and your lifespan. So I love it as a vital sign, as a way of measuring how you're doing. And I don't think of libido as sexual. I think of it in the way we've been talking about it, but also as passion. You know, there are, in Eastern philosophy, there are spiritual renunciates. In Catholicism, there are spiritual renunciants who want to channel sexual energy into something else. That's great, but oftentimes what I see is that they don't have the energy to channel in the first place to kind of dried up husks. And so that energy is important to nourish and nurture so that you can transmute it to whatever it is you want to be in this world. What's your life purpose? It doesn't need to be available for sex. It can be available to write your next book or create your next piece of art. You know, it's, it's so, it's a, it's an energy. And if you feel like the passions you've had in your life are gone and fizzled out and you've got no more sizzle left in your life, then your libido is low. And so, you know, in order to really enjoy this life, you need that energy. And then you get a choice about how you're going to spend it. But it is a resource and you want to make sure you build it and conserve it and then use it in a way that's very intentional. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to step sideways for just a moment. And what does your, down through the years, what has your research shown as to why women appear to have a greater rate of autoimmune conditions? And when I say appear, I don't mean that I don't believe it. I mean that the stats are telling us that. But I'm curious what there is in the, what it is in the female makeup and is it possible that men are too shy to ever say or be, you know, have that recognized as well? Does that make sense? Well, it's not. Yeah. And, and if you were talking about libido, then shy would be an appropriate word because the statistics show that 31% of men experience low libido at some point in their lifespan. And that's, that is an often debated statistic because men don't come forward and report very easily. Uh, so when we move to autoimmunity, this actually isn't anything about shyness. It really is data. Now, this is a really interesting subject that you're, you're asking me about, and I, I'm, I was fascinated about it when I first started examining the demographics and the studies. And there are three reasons why women tend to get autoimmunity more readily than men. First of all, autoimmune disease is often not even recognized in our culture, in our lay population, but also doctors aren't testing for it unless you get to the level of symptomology that I had when I went in and I had gained 10 pounds of puffiness and I couldn't move. But there are a lot of symptoms leading up to autoimmunity that if we're paying really close attention, we can head it off. So the people that are listening to our voices right now, I want them to really hear this. It takes anywhere from 10 to 30 years to develop a full-blown autoimmune disease. If you don't take care of the root problems here, 
one, a person with an, one autoimmune disease has a 75% risk of getting another one. Why is that? It's not because you're just going to hell in a handcart. It's because you actually haven't dealt with the root cause. It's still going. And then after that, you have a higher risk of cancer. Why is that? Because the same process is happening in the body. It hasn't been dealt with at a root cause place. It just makes so much sense if you really think about it critically. And yet we tend to just head off to symptom management instead of asking and why do I have this in the first place? So that's one part of it. The three reasons why women tend to develop autoimmune diseases more um, readily than men, one of them is because we have the estrogen receptors in our bodies. Lots, you know, and with all the xenoestrogens in the environment right now, they're tagging those xenoestrogen or those estrogen receptors in our bodies. And the second is we have more fat tissue. And so toxins are more readily stored in our bodies than they are in men's bodies. So now that's not across the board true because I'm seeing more and more estrogen-dominant men who have got flabby abbies and man boobs, and, they, you know, they also are having xenoestrogen stored inside of their bodies, and they're winding up having a lot of the same toxins that women carry around in their breasts and um, and at the same rate now. So they're starting to catch up because of our environmental pollutants. And then the third reason is our brain. Uh, if you think about the fact that we are wired to be a tribal people with very specific roles, women are the ones that are supposed to be able to multitask. Science bears this out. Because we have to keep the toddlers out of the fire pit, we have to tan the hides, we have to grind the corn, and we have to tell the stories of our culture around the fire and, uh, you know, help the young women become adults. So we're doing all this at the same time. Men are more wired to go find the food, kill it, bring it back. And so we have very different brains. And so what happens is women are more prone to a personality trait that's known as neuroticism. Sounds very negative, but in fact, what it is is that they just remember everything. And if they're not taught to release, you know, empty out the garbage and release things, then it can build up. And it keeps the nervous system in a fight-or-flight response. And that nervous system being in a fight-or-flight response uh, there's a release of cortisol from our adrenal glands, which are the stress responder glands. And that cortisol, if it's left on, will break down the gut wall, which causes leaky gut. And then our immune system tagging foods we're eating as bad guys. And then it starts to attack us. So there are a few different things that happen uniquely in females that keep those rates higher in women than in men. And I also find that I have patients that come in to see me who are feeling like you put in your headline of the show, fat, frazzled, and fatigued, and they have autoimmune disease and they don't know it. I'm diagnosing autoimmune disease constantly in men and women who have had it for years and didn't know that their restless leg syndrome was autoimmune. Their Raynaud's disease is autoimmune. Their psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. Their eczema is autoimmune. This funky red rash they have on their cheeks that as they've been told, is rosacea. Rosacea is an autoimmune disease. So they haven't actually gotten the gravity of what's 
their body is saying. And instead they're trying to cover it up with makeup or take Advil and not listening to the fact that their body is busy attacking itself. Ooh, gnarly. Yeah. (laughs) I know that's not a scientific term, but really it is. It's all mind blowing. When I think of the, the toxic load in the environment, that it just increases, you know, moment to moment with the amount of just the stuff in the ocean, you know, that then evaporates and goes into the air and then comes back to the earth, let alone what we're putting on the earth. It's, it's just amazing. And we're just really giant. Well, we're not giant, you know, big walking environmental filters is kind of how I look at the human system or I think of the human system in that we're, demonstrating a combination of what's in the environment outside and then we take that and we put it into our mix of what we're thinking and wow so that leads me to asking you about PTSD and and you have a, a you have a different connote to that which I think is really great in air quotes. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So for listeners that don't know what PTSD stands for, we'll start off with that, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And we often hear it attributed to vets of wars, you know, and people that have gone through gigantic natural disasters, um, someone that has lost somebody to a violent death. You know, these are, these are PTSD uh, causing events where we have post-traumatic stress as a result of something that our nervous system simply couldn't handle. We have a lot of research, just you know, boatloads of research about PTSD, about the changes in the brain that happen with PTSD, particularly in the front, the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is considered the adult brain or the brain the part of the brain that's in charge of impulse control, in charge of executive function, making good as an adult. Well, when you have PTSD, you have shrinkage in that part of your brain, and it can affect your ability to have good impulse control. And it also keeps you in the part of your brain that is wired for fight or flight, the amygdala, the limbic system, where these old traumas are just right there and available uh, quite readily. So... When I was in my, doing my doctoral research, I was looking at the question of does past hurt, does that have an impact in adult female sexual desire? Because I was seeing that that was true in my practice, but there was nothing in medical science to support that. So I did a study called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study, HURT Study. And what I found is that when a child whose brain is not fully developed yet, where our brain, that part that I was just talking about, the prefrontal cortex is called the adult brain because it's not fully formed until you're 26 years old. So when you're experiencing your life experiences as a child through each of the developmental stages that we all walk through, when events happen and we don't have right there beside us a fully attuned grounded, wise adult to help us navigate something we don't understand, we're going to make stuff up. And it's always going to be self-centered because as children, 
in those developmental stages, we are self-centered because we're trying to figure out how to be human on planet Earth with the other humans. We're trying to figure out how to stay alive and how to get our needs met. So it's all about us. So that's why you'll see a child whose parents get divorced start making up stuff that it's all about them, right? That they're not good enough. It's because that's what we do. So what happens then in the hurt model that came out of that study is you have an experience in childhood that creates a feeling inside of your body, a sensation of anxiety, hurt, fear, anger, shame, guilt, any of those that send your stress response cycle going, fight or flight, or freeze. In my case, it was freeze. So that then, that feeling that you get in your body, where do you get it? Is it in your gut? Is it in your heart? Is it your jaw clenches, your shoulders tighten, any of those physical responses are wired into your body as a result of that sensation, that feeling that you have. And then your body says, okay, so here we need to get out of danger. So you respond accordingly. Now what happens next is Every single time that whatever meaning you made up about that, so I'm going to use my own um, sexual abuse when I was 10 as an example. So I was in a, a classroom, and there was an intercom in the corner, and at random times it would go off, and I learned to go into fight or flight every time the static came across that intercom because every once in a while it was to call me to the vice principal's office. And so I never knew when that static was going off. And remember, in those days, we did the Pledge of Allegiance. And we, every morning, the intercom went off. So I started my day in fight or flight. And the meaning I made up as a self-centered child was I have to be perfect to even survive life on this planet. Because the vice principal was telling me it was my fault. I was a bad kid. So... Now, I'm going to carry that belief then that I have to be perfect into adulthood until my brain fully develops and I have an opportunity to go back and change it. We all have something, and oftentimes people will say, well, I wasn't sexually abused or I wasn't beaten or I, you know, I had great parents. I was Ozzy and Harriet, you know. But the thing of it is, is every single child has their own bar of trauma. Every kid has trauma in their childhood because it can be the Things like failing your first test or the one I always talk about when I give talks about this is the presidential challenge in elementary school, um, trying to get up that stupid rope, you know, in front of everybody, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> that, was, that in and of itself was a trauma for me. Oh, <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, as a boy, maybe not getting picked for the ball team or, you know, whatever it is, being rejected by a girl when you ask them out or um, whatever, some humiliation or rejection. We are tribal people. If we get put outside of the village, outside of the firelight, there are saber-toothed tigers there that can eat us. And so any kind of rejection is felt as a trauma. So however you then um, categorize that inside of your body and your mind can then be activated over and over and over again in your life. So there was a study that was done um, by a researcher named Mall, M-O-L. And what they found out, as I was mapping the brain for my doctoral research, I found this study and I was fascinated by it because they found 
that people that perceive their adult lives as chronically stressful, so those people that I see in my office day in and day out that say they're overwhelmed, and when I ask them to do dry skin brushing and take a detox bath, they start crying because they don't have time to take care of themselves. That is a chronically overwhelmed, stressed out person. What these guys found out in this study is that there are the same brain changes in the prefrontal cortex as the ones that have PTSD. So basically, mm. our culture right now is supporting brain damage on a lot of different levels. And so, you know, my call, I, I've run two summits now. It's called the Women's Vitality Summit, is to have people be taking that time for themselves where they actually are not saying they're overwhelmed every single day and every minute of their life. Now, the way that I think about this, I have a very busy life, but I don't feel overwhelmed by it. What I feel is I'm living my life purpose. So a lot of this is reframing your story because unless you reframe your story, you can't reclaim your power from childhood. So it's very intentional, all this work. And it really has to do with once you're in a space where you say, I'm in the flow, I'm doing my life work, I'm, I'm living my purpose, whatever that is for you, then you're not activating that fight or flight response. So it's just a mindset shift, really. It's really quite fascinating. So when you have a medical provider, you read a research article that says you just have to reduce your stress, I always say that it's just crap because what if you have a special needs child, or you're going through a big relationship catastrophe, or you've just lost your job, or you've gotten a promotion, you know, all these different things that are stressful events that life hands you no matter what, you're going to have them. You're not going to reduce that. What are you going to do? Get rid of your special needs child or your aging parent who needs, you know, help and your caregiving. So it's all about your mindset and how you're viewing it and your relationship to your life. That has to be healed. I want to toss in a bit about one of the reasons I really liked your view about PTSD was when I started working with Sherry. Sherry Edwards has software that's for PTSD. And in Sherry's work, you take a vocal print, which means a 30-second recording, and she runs it through this software that analyzes you for PTSD. And when I started mm. working with the software, at first I had the thought, having grown up in the generation of Vietnam vets, and I had a lot of mm-hmm. friends who came back in, from college. I, I was in college, and a lot of them were coming back from the war. And so that's sort of the picture I think we have of PTSD, that it's some really amazing, horrific trauma. Right. Right. And when you when you look at the printout from the software and the the information there, there's all sorts of states of things that can occur that create an imbalance in the system. Exactly what you're talking about that mm-hmm. show. Oh wait, this is in the an indicator of a state of imbalance from some kind of trauma. It doesn't have to be an explosion or a car crash. It can be all sorts of events. So PTSD is really I I'm yeah I'm a fan. Well, a fan is not quite the right word, but I think it's an underrated condition because everything can be, anything can be possibly set that mindset, which goes right to the, what you're speaking about with, uh, we've interviewed Bruce Lipton a couple of times, and he's always talking about, you know, your cells are listening. 
you know, that we keep right. saying to ourselves, hey, you're not good enough. You're too something. You're not enough of something. He would say right. it slightly differently. But, I mean, that's really what it's about is our cells really are listening because that's what they're trained to do. That's how they all right. make us get up every day and walk around. Well, that's what so, the ACE study showed us. So the ACE yeah. study is the Adverse Childhood Experiences study that was conducted between 1995 and 1997 by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente. And, and this study was over 17,000 participants, and they were asked about 10 big capital T traumas, if, if any of them had experienced any of these, which are your parent is uh, addicted to a substance, a drug or alcohol or divorced, or in my case, my dad was in the Navy, so they're gone a lot, right? Um, absent parent for long periods of time, or the big ones that we always identify, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and psychological abuse. So I had an A score of two. Over two-thirds of the people, these over 17,000 participants reported an A score of at least one. And so what the statistics show us from this longitudinal study is that for every ACE score that you have, the higher number, the higher the risk of any number of the chronic issues we deal with in adulthood, from addiction to chronic illnesses like cancer and autoimmune disease, to not finishing your education, to self-neglect and not taking care of yourself by eating healthy foods and showing up for exercise and then also um, uh, relationships that aren't very healthy, dysfunctional relationships. So the good news about all that, as Bruce Lipton talks about, is we have this wonderful neuroplasticity and epigenetics that we can lean into where we say, oh, this pattern isn't serving me. I can change it. And that's the beautiful thing. I would have never written a book about this had there not been a solution. I'm not a big one for saying, oh, you're screwed. And so, you know, I wrote <laughs> and good luck with that. I, said, I know exactly. You, if you have an A score of six, have a, are going to live 20 years less than the average person. I mean, you know, I, I would never, ever say that because what I know is that, you know, I was told that I had a disease that was terminal. You're never going to cure it. And I know that's not true. I'm living proof of it. And so, you know, we have this beautiful way that we can, but first you have to have the knowledge. First you have to say, here's the pattern. Oh, I do have an A score of four. Okay. So in my book, I say, here, take the ACE quiz. And at the end of it, I say, so now what? Now you have an opportunity to say, what am I going to do with this belief that I created in childhood? I get to change it. And by changing it, I can actually reverse whatever big things going on with my health, my relationships, my finances. All of this stuff is impacted by these meanings and beliefs we created in childhood because they, they make our behaviors. Our self-sabotaging behaviors begin with these beliefs that we created in childhood. So we're not trapped. You are never trapped. You get an opportunity to go do a redo. And I think that's so powerful. It's freedom. The only cage we are ever in is the cage of our own mind. And we have the key, and I always say it's in your heart, to just reach up and open it and you can fly. So you're never a victim any longer. 
of whatever happened to you in your childhood. I always say sexual abuse and rheumatoid arthritis are two of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. That's not a mindset that happens overnight. That's done with a lot of intentional healing and reorganizing and reframing. And then that creates flow. And isn't that why we're here in the first place is to take those hurts and make them into gold, right? Mm. It sounds like a title to the next book. Um, <laughs> that's really good, <laughs> taking those hurts and turning it into gold. That's good. Um, that's really good. And in our, I'm, I'm stunned to find in our last 10 or 12 minutes, can you talk about the really great Your Freedom Framework Talk about yes. what that work is and why I think I think it's such a great pathway. So as I've mentioned a couple of times, I see everybody as their own unique individual puzzle. And whenever you buy a puzzle at the store or pick one up at your coffee shop, you, you're attracted to it because of the picture on the front of it. So you take the lid off and you dump all the pieces out on the table and then you immediately start sorting them. If you're a good puzzle solver, you don't just try and start sticking things together randomly from the gray side. You turn them all over so you can see all the colors. You look for the four corner pieces and then the edge pieces. So the way that I solve every puzzle for people is by doing just that. And the four corner pieces of anything, whether it's low libido or obesity or depression or anxiety or autoimmune disease or cancer, is by looking for the four corner pieces of the puzzle. And those four corner pieces are going to be your genetics, they're going to be your digestive health, they're going to be your toxic load and your body's ability to get rid of those toxins. And when I say toxins, I don't just mean physical xenoestrogen, endocrine disruptors. I'm also talking about your toxic thoughts and beliefs. And then the fourth puzzle piece of that corner is going to be adverse childhood experiences or your stressors, your, your perception of your stressors. Those are the four. And then the edge pieces that you're going to put and connect those four corners together with are what I call the freedom framework. So it consists of four C's. The first one is you want to uncover the root cause of whatever it is that's going on. I know uncover starts with a U. We're going to go with the cover part. The C. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's going to be you're looking for clues in your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and the way you tell your story. I listen to the way people tell their stories. I look for the words that are like, I've been at war with my weight since I was a child. You know, Then I know if you're a war with your own body, which is exactly what autoimmune disease, there is no winner. You can't win. So I'm always looking for the verbiage and what's being, how the story is being told. Then you're going to go to the connect the dots and you're going to look at the laboratory work and you're going to say, okay, what's the data showing me? And oftentimes, data is going to be even what's on your scale. It's going to be your waist circumference. It's going to be your libido level, your quality of sleep. It's going to be your energy level, your skin, you know, all of the things that your body is trying to tell you. And you're going to look at that data. Um, and then you're going, to, you're going to connect what you're doing in your life to that data. So in other words, what's on the end of your fork, what's in your cuff, and you're going to start taking responsibility for the lifestyle choices you're making 
and how that data is showing up. Instead of looking for an external solution, I'm always helping people start to understand what's motivating them to eat sugar every single day or have a glass of wine before they go to sleep at night, which then wakes them up at 2 or 3 in the morning. Um, I'm always wanting to help them see, you know, here's what your choices are doing with your data. The last one is going to be creating the life that you want to live with intention. And I always say, you know, when you take your iPhone out of the box, you don't just go with the factory default settings. Right now, unless you've done that inner work, you have your factory default settings. The beliefs you created in childhood would be your factory default settings. And you can reset them. So creating the life you want with intention instead of by default is where you go after you've got all this other stuff balanced. So I do a ton of genetic testing, a lot of adrenal and hormone testing. I look at who's living in the gut and helping people heal their gut walls. I'm looking at um, libido level, helping them get underneath their story. So it's a very holistic look at how you are right now in your life. Is this where you want to be or do you want to up-level that? Well, here's how you do it. So the Freedom Framework gives you a structure for all of that. And I noticed on one of your uh, pages that you used a phrase that made me chuckle. You used, under the free, talking about the frame of the puzzle, you used the term confront the lab data. <laughs> that was yes. so great because that's such yeah. a different perspective on looking at lab results where you get the lab results and you see if you're high or low and it sort of ends there. Versus right. actually looking at the lab data and, con- and exactly as you say, confronting and going, what's that? And what's that mean? And how can I change that? Right. And it's, it's such a great view. It's such a great sort of, and I'm not, not taking that. <laughs> right. And not becoming afraid of it, you know. Um, so that's another piece of it. I, I always think humans have this thing, I call it the misery to motivation ratio, where the more miserable you are, the more motivated you are to make the changes you need to make. And unfortunately, you know, I had to have an anvil dropped on my head by Wiley Coyote before I woke up to all of this. And I see that in most of my patients. I'll, they'll, you know, help them confront their lab data and connect the dots. And then they won't show up. And four years later, they'll come back and say, I wish I'd listened to you. I have MS. And we have the highest incidence of MS in the country here in, in uh, the state of Washington where I live. And that's always very sad to me. But here's the other thing is then I help them reverse themselves out of MS, you know. And so when you're ready, you show up. When you're willing to do that self-confrontation, that confront word is all over in my work and in my research because you have to be willing to confront your beliefs and your thoughts and not necessarily think they're always true. We always think if we have a thought that it must be somehow a pearl. (laughs) That's not necessarily accurate. So, you know, so that confrontation is being able to say, okay, I need to let go of this. It's outdated. It's self-limiting. And replace it with something that's more adult and that's going to serve me for the rest of my life and help me become a wise elder. And do you have patients that come to you who lead the, you know, they they do everything correct. They do the exercise, they do the meditation, they eat a great diet, they've healed their gut, they exercise regularly, they have a good mental state, 
that's in air quotes. Uh, they they do everything on the list that you know leads to they should be in the perfect state of health, and they still have some kind of imbalance. And it's when they sit down and talk with you that they realize that they haven't cleared that whatever the PTSD vibe yeah. that they have in their system. And then they, they go, that's oh the my god, common. and now they. Wow, yeah, that's really? the most common patient I get. I get the, hmm. the most common patient I get is somebody that has literally spent thousands of dollars in functional medicine doing testing and following diets and protocols that have a great degree of scientific accuracy behind them, but they've left behind what I call the missing piece of the puzzle, and that is past hurt. And they have not healed that. So they have to start all over with me because once it's been six months since that testing was done, then I'm redoing it. Um, but I'm also, I have programs on my website that are do-it-yourself trauma healing with hard stops inside of it. It's called the You Unbroken program. And inside of it will say, if you can't do this, this is the kind of therapy you need to go get, and here's how to find the right person. And I need you to shop for this person like you would shop for a pair of shoes. You don't just say, oh, I already tried therapy, or I've been in talk therapy for 20 years. It hasn't done any good. No, if you are going to go buy a pair of shoes, you try them on, you walk down the hall a little bit, you look at them in the mirror. If they're too tight, they pinch. You don't buy them. And that's what people do with therapy is they want to find someone that their insurance will take. So basically you're buying shoes online and then you're saying shoes don't work if those shoes didn't fit you. And <laughs> so I'm always trying to get people to bring the same level of attention to they're finding, I always call it borrowing a brain to get therapy, uh, as they would when they go buy, buy a pair of shoes. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. Shoes don't work. That's a great line. I may have to use that. That's really good. <laughs> That's really good. Wow. It's those shoes. That's the problem. It's shoes. Yes, exactly. exactly. It's those darn shoes. Um, I have a, a completely side question. It relates to all this, but it's a. I'm gathering data on this. Over your, in your many years of practice, are you seeing an increase in leaky gut and gut issues in general? Oh, of course. It's almost to the point of who doesn't have leaky gut rather than who does. And if you have autoimmune disease, then you already know you have autoimmune disease or you have cancer, you have leaky gut. You cannot even bother getting your zonulin tested. You have leaky gut because that's the only way that you have that disease in place. And we are in a pandemic of autoimmune disease. So, yes, definitely uh, we have more leaky gut than we've ever had, and it is very much due to the agribusiness of our time. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Ayurveda says we're microcosms of the macrocosm of our universe, which means every element that's outside in the world is inside of us. And as the earth is not doing a great job with the overload of toxicity, neither are our bodies. We are just reflections, many reflections of the larger system that we're living in. And it's, we're not keeping up. So all of these genetic changes we're seeing uh, the rise in autism, all of these things are definitely a product, a byproduct of digestive systems that are failing. 
So to a certain extent, we could, I could almost use the phrase uh, "happy micro," hagro, excuse me, "happy microbiome, happy life." Of course, kind of. That's been used many yeah. times before. Yeah, that's absolutely okay. accurate because our neurotransmitters are synapses in our gut. If our gut's not doing a good job, we're not going to be happy. That's for darn sure. And it's a bad place to be confused and have traffic congestion because it's where everything happens. Really, everything. Kind of. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> we think it's all on well, our shoulders. I mean, they said and yes, the brain does 10,000 years ago, right, is that if you don't have a healthy digestive system, you will be sick. And they knew that so long ago. And we are still uh, doing studies to prove it. And yet it's just right there. Most of the people doing the studies have leaky gut. You know, it's, it's kind of like, come on, let's stop proving it and just get on with ch- doing the solution, which is cleaning <laughs> everything up taking responsibility yeah. for what we eat and not expecting the FDA. You know, a lot of people will think that if it's on the shelf in the store, it must be safe. And that's an improper premise. <laughs> not that's so nicely put. Oh, that's so nicely put. Uh, yes. Um, so I, I want to talk about your health coach program, but we can't, we don't have enough time to go into it. So I will do the, how do people work with you? Where can we find out more about this great health coach training program you have, and where would you like people to get your book? The, all of my programs, including the certification program, is drkeisha.com, D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A.com. And there's a link there for getting the book. It's also on Amazon, but if you do it through my website, you also get a free 21-day quick start guide, which helps you gives you 21 different emails that helps you learn how to get rid of some of this toxic load and get to work on upregulating your health. Wonderful. And tell, give us just, a, if you can, a couple bullet points about the health coach training program because I know it's quite robust, but I think it's a great thing for people to be aware of. Well, one bullet point is there's a free webinar that I'm giving uh, – Thursday uh, that you can sign up for um, and you can learn all about it and it is a replay for the last one that we did there on the the become certified on my website but you learn functional medicine testing you learn Ayurveda you learn emotional healing tools Um, you're learning integrative medicine and the way that I've been talking about it for the last hour and that freedom framework so that as you heal yourself, you can then make a career out of helping other people heal. I have a lot of patients that are what I call summit junkies. They're so smart. And, you know, they have so much information, but they haven't learned how to individualize it and personalize it to themselves. And they're very passionate and did not go to school in medicine. And they think that the ship has already sailed. And this makes it so the ship has not failed. You don't have to have any medical background or a license to do this program. So if you're super passionate and excited about this way of thinking about health, this is the program for you. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, this has been a rapid conversation, and I knew it was going to be good from everything I read about you, and it was really excellent. We might even talk about a part two because there's so much to talk about in terms of the correlation to me of the toxic load of the environment, environmentally, meaning pathogens and endocrine disruptors and toxins, Mm -hmm. and that mix of emotions, it's just such a 
tricky cocktail. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. So it's really, yeah, we'll talk more. Uh, but we have to go. Thank you so much, Dr. Keisha. That was great. I knew, yeah. Thank really you. Excellent. Thank you for the great work you're up to in the world. Thank you. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye-bye.